Keep calm, keep calm and cauliflower cheese. Keep calm, keep calm and cauliflower cheese. Hello, Monsieur, Madame, ladies and more pieces. It's Chappie, the British butler, with episode 29 and episode 30. We have a bumper bonanza edition of the podcast this week. We have two episodes, uh, lots of uh, lots of material, or maybe some people say lack of material, I don't know. Uh, some of the things that we may or may not be talking about today. My drive for a jerky-laden Estes Park uh, in Colorado. My daughter being obsessed with rats. Uh, odd things one finds after separating and divorce. Um, have you ever found anything prickly in your bed? Uh, I want to audition to be the new Siri. Uh, also introducing some of our foreign friends, some of our non-Brits, to plot offers and uh, Apple's secret chip lab as well. Uh, what happened when I rubbed meat paste into my slippers? Uh, some of our quotes of the week, latest e-scooter news. Um, the butcher's dog could do with a long lay down. Uh, treasures from Wallace Simpson's reign at the Waldorf Astoria. Have Britons lost touch with being tactile? We have a couple of eccentrics. We have a skilly with dots. Uh, we also have our uh, historical Tinder game as well. And much, 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 much more packed into a bumper edition of the show. You're most welcome. Happy autumn to you. Happy October to you. So I hope you're going to enjoy this rather whimsical autumnal train ride. Uh, scaling the mountains of podcasts over the next uh, over the next hour or so. It's Friday here, and um, that's gardening and leaf blower day. So if you hear a whole pack of dogs howling and barking, that is the reason why they do not like leaf blowers and they do not like people mowing the lawn. But anyway, um, one would think that I would should be out there mowing the lawn as well as pressing shirts and starching everything to an inch of its life. But uh, alas, no. That's somebody else's job. Um, so, so last week I, I we took a little drive over to um, Estes Park in Colorado. It's probably about an hour north, I suppose, of the city um, to see some of the uh, golden delights and beautiful brown and bronzed and red leaves out there. Anyway, so a little bit of light snow, uh, which is fairly typical in October. Uh, Seventy degrees in the city. And dropping down to thirty degrees with uh, with some light snow, and some some of the things that are interesting that you'd probably never see, and you know, a humble British chap coming from the east coast of the UK would never see anything such as a jerky drive through. Now you can go and get your jerky, you know, whether you want I don't know rabbit, rattlesnake, uh, probably deer, beef, pork, whatever your flavored jerky of choice. And you can actually go and get a jerky drive through Now, I don't know if this has been created just because of, um, uh, you know, just because of COVID. You know, I wonder if you need a, you know, a six-foot jerky stick to keep away. I mean, who, who wouldn't want to chew on a six-foot-long jerky stick? Uh, I think it could give you sustenance for probably a 14er or any uh, long hiking expedition. Um, but yeah, you can drive up and get your meat stick. Absolutely fantastic. Something else I saw as well, trout tickling. Now, so do you tickle the trout to get it to come up to jump on and get hooked onto the line? What is trout ticking? Where do you tickle your trout? Do you tickle it near the under the neck? I mean, that's where most people like to be tickled, under the neck. So would, would one tickle one trout under the neck perhaps, or, or, or maybe more on the scaly part, on the fins? Is a... Is a trout more? Does the trout succumb more to 
uh, fin tickling than than sort of under the under the neck and chin tickling. And also, um, you know, a feature that's probably going to be running through the the thread, the, the 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 vein, the main vein of this podcast. These two podcasts will be bears, I think. They'll be mentioned a few times, I think. But there's a bear den. I mean, what does a bear den entail? Is it is it a diner? Is it where you know gay men meet, or is it uh, or is it bear wrestling perhaps? You know, does a grizzly take on a brown bear or or one of the other types of bears that reside uh, in Colorado? Who knows? But there is a bear den up there. Fascinating. So many so many things in such a short time uh, made a very very curious butler think think again and think very long and hard. So we have some of our quotes of the week here. Um, it's a beautiful, amazing thing. Leave it better than when you found it. That's Daniel Craig's advice to his successor playing James Bond. You've got to search for the hero inside you and hope that the individual is considerably slimmer. Taking a line from the pop group's M people, Boris Johnson tells the virtual Tory conference that he's shed and lost 26 pounds. There are far too many bossy people in England. I'm happier living in France, says the artist Sir David Hockney. Greed does not, act, greed does not actually lead to joy. The excesses of capitalism must be curbed if we are to save the planet, said the broadcaster and naturalist Sir David Attenborough. Unhappiness and depression is a luxury that I could not permit myself. Um, that's we must make every day a happy day, says performance artist Marina Abramovic. So there's some of our little uh, quotes of the week scattered into this, uh, this ramshackle affair that we like to call a podcast. Okay, so we have a little bit of uh, interesting uh, British news. There's a lot of British on this show. You know, it's like a meat pie Britishisms, this, uh, this podcast. But Meghan Markle reportedly has serious ambitions to run for president. Meghan Markle harbors serious ambitions to run for president of the United States, according to this report. After the Duchess of Sussex and husband Prince Harry dumped royal duties for the historic Mexit, the 39-year-old former suit star now has an eye on the White House, a close friend told Vanity Fair. One of the reasons she was keen not to give up her citizenship was that she had the option to go into politics. I think if Meghan and Harry ever gave up their titles, she would seriously consider running for president, a friend added fuel to the rumours. Her biographer, Omid Scobie, also previously claimed that the former actress has eyes set on the presidency. Meghan is the embodiment of the American dream. One day we'll see Meghan becoming president, the author of Finding Freedom uh, mentioned. Harry, Meghan and making of the modern royal family previously told a documentary of Vanity Fair. So one wonders, you know, if, if Meghan does ever become the US president, Madam President, I mean, should, could she be the first female president? Would she be allowed to do that? But I don't think he's a British citizen yet, so I don't know if somebody holding a dual citizenship can become president of the United States. That's a question that uh, one has to ask. But what would Harry do? I mean, would he be allowed to have um, hobnob biscuits in the White House? Could he have a buttered crumpet in the White House? Would he be allowed to watch any cricket or rugby in the White House? Is that even allowed? Because I know the British tried to burn down the White House at one point. 
And is a Brit even allowed to reside or sleep in the White House? One, one assumes so, because Margaret Thatcher and uh, some of the some of the British prime ministers have actually stayed in the White House. I know Theresa May did as well, and uh, Tony Blair, I believe. So these are important questions for Meghan. You know, I, if it was me, if I couldn't get a buttered crumpet daily, or uh, you know, maybe a, a, a press copy of the London Times, because I mean that's something else. The royals do have their newspapers ironed. I mean, could you get this sort of service in the White House? I mean, they must have irons in there because they have to iron President Trump's six-foot-long ties. So there are irons there to iron the London Times if even necessary. Okay, so I highly, highly recommend a wonderful article in the Wall Street Journal, The France of Time and Tourism Forgot, uh, written by Paul Waltzer. A decade had passed since my family's Paris days a three-year-old period where I worked at a newspaper. Our daughter studied at France Ecolier, and we explored many of France's most celebrated regions, from Normandy to the Alps to the Côte d'Azur. But like most foreigners, even most French, we'd never journeyed to Ariage, a rugged and secluded region between Toulouse in the north and Spain to the south, with checkered history. That changed in July 2018, where we arrived in Ariage to visit a Franco-American family whose children went to grade school with ours back in New York. Our friends of roots in Vitdaust, a tiny village uh, featuring red roof homes, green shutters and gardens along narrow stone streets, and a 12th century Romanesque church. Their enclave lies in the Pyrenees foothills in a region of small medieval towns among farms, meadows, snow-capped mountains, rivers and lakes, and tourism was largely forgotten. Even the Tour de France cyclists breeze by it in mere seconds. Like the US, France is politically and culturally divided between big cities and smaller ones. We have the epitome of La France, or traditional France. Um, Victor Alst population, like its slightly larger neighborhood Alst, and the surrounding region has dwindled in recent decades as young people seek jobs elsewhere, leaving just a few dozen people. As the older generation passed by, younger people moved to Toulouse, uh, says Sylvia Russo, the matriarch uh, of, of friends and family in France. Our trip, like the region, was laid back and unhurried. Each day I walked around 100 yards from the Russo abode to the Salé River, where I swam in the clear, chilly waters upstream from fly fishermen angling the trout. Hopefully they weren't tickling the trout. The region's iconic peak, Montvalier, loomed in the distance. One morning we drove to the Bethlehem Valley, known for its mild cow cheese and carved clogs. As we drove up the rural road, our cars were blocked by a herd of ambling cows sporting sonorous bells. We hiked up a mountain path through woods into scrubby, low bush pines and grasslands. It's culminating at the 5,000 a uh, foot high Etang the glacial lake in a basin from which mountains rear steeply. After a swim in the icy blue-green water, we feasted on a picnic of baguettes, cheese, tomatoes, and dried cured sausage called saucisson, all locally produced. This is an absolutely beautiful article. I mean, for anybody who is uh, stuck in a in a in a, in a time that in a time that, uh, or a land that times have got, i.e. they're stuck with COVID and stuck in quarantine, um, stuck in 2020 and like a groundhog day, waking up every morning, working from home, 
and day in, day out, not being able to see family and friends or travel. Read this article, but this will whet the appetite. This will butter the baguette for you. This will pour out du vin, du pain, du boisson. It is a beautiful article and uh, warms the hearts, warms the cockles of, uh, of people who can't travel at the moment. And I think we have to do this. We, we need a little fantasy in our lives. So uh, read about uh, the France that time forgot and we'll be traveling again soon, friends. Ladies and mantelpieces. So one would say that I'm a dedicated follower of fashion. Probably not my daughter's, but I recently bought a pair of rainbow uh, sneakers or tennis shoes that uh, I, I, I could be skipping along the end of the rainbow with the leprechauns looking for the pot of gold with these with with these uh, with these uh, sneakers and tennis shoes on. They're absolutely fabulous, but uh, my daughters did shame me, fashion shame me, uh, almost decided to call the fashion police on me. But talking of the fashion police. And again, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this correctly, so please forgive me. I, 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 the, the teeth are moving and the tongue's moving, but maybe not in the right order here. Everyday pieces are rendered cutting edge through fresh proportions and urban attitude. The Balenciaga, Balenciaga review. This looks crackpot, but we'll all be wearing this outfit soon. So as a figure strides down a dark, rainy Paris street, why is she wearing a coat that's several sizes too big for her? Why is she wearing sunglasses at night? Why is she wearing such unsuitable footwear? A cross between hotel slippers and kitten-heeled mules. That's because the world of Balenciaga to the layperson is the most challenging label in contemporary luxury. The language of Balenciaga, as forged by its creative director, uh, Demna Grasvalia, since uh, since his arrival five years ago was uncompromisingly expressed. The Georgian-born Vasalia takes the everyday hoodies, day dresses, blazers and renders it into a newly strange, by way of exaggerated proportions, unexpected morphings into a fiercely urban attitude. To the uninitiated, it can look at best incomprehensible, at worst ugly, yet cutting-edge fashion is often rendered by being just beyond the uh, zen and ken of the mainstream. The cool kids get it, the rest of us don't, which makes the cool kids coveted even more. So, I mean, this looks like an oversized baggy condom. Um, the, the, the top's baggy, the bottom's baggy, sunglasses are on. I mean, it, it looks like somebody's emaciated and, and, and too skinny to be wearing these, these outfits. It's, the clothes are seriously 15 sizes too big for these people. Now, I know I, I know I have a go at, you know, dad shorts. Uh, I have a, a go at jeggings and leisure wear that's worn all the time. I always say dress to impress. But this Balenciaga, you'll never, you'll, never believe, you'll never believe it. And again, if I'm pronouncing it incorrectly, it's B-A-L-E-N-C-I-A-G-A. Look it up. It's a new urban fashion trend. It's something that I won't be getting, uh, will be wearing very soon. I mean, even I could get lost in this. And I'm a, and I'm a, I'm, I'm a fair, you know, a fairly large chap. But this, this really does look like um, something that uh, Humpty Dumpty would be wearing if he, um, if, you know, if he's into running triathlons and marathons and Ironmen. This is Humpty Dumpty's clothes after running a year's worth of triathlons and Ironmen. It is, is unbelievable. So look it up. See what you think. So much to my shock and amazement, I now um, have discovered that my older daughter 
resides in a rat hole, or what she likes to call, and her younger sister likes to call, her rat hole, where she resides all day, doing her schoolwork remotely, listening to rather odd music on Spotify, uh, annoying me by putting Spotify on, listening to music and changing it when I'm listening to something, which seems to be the problem within shared accounts these days. But she is she is obsessed with rats. She she calls um, I, I think she calls herself the uh, talented beautiful rat. She calls her sister the flexible rat. Um, I, I don't know what she calls her, her mother. Maybe the, the elegant rat. I think I'm the no I'm the elegant rat. The elegant and and uh, surprisingly funny rat. And then she uh, she had some names for the dogs here, which I'm just going to little play this little clip here. These are names of the of, of, of the of the dogs that we have. Okay, so here we start off with this is multi colored rat. Come on, multi colored rat. Look at the camera. Multi colored rat. Yeah. Um, that is cow rat. Cow rat looks depressed. Yeah. Um, there is rat rat. Who's where's rat rat? I don't know where he is. And there he is. Come with me. We are going to the last rat. He's eating. Where's the last rat? So the kind-hearted rat uh, was Lizzie that you can hear in one of the previous editions of the podcast, my uh, RAP and Ode to Lizzie. Um, who, uh, who was a corgi chihuahua mix, believe it or not, uh, who died earlier in the year. But yeah, everything's a rat. I don't know. Does anybody else have any? Did, you know, does anybody other people's children call everybody donkeys? Well, you know, masses, I suppose. Um, how about flamingos? Do we have any flamingos in there? Everything is a rat. Everything is described as rat. It, it's a, it's a, it's a positive compliment and uh, negative and derogatory at the same time. So there we go. Welcome to her world of rats. So I was reading an article, love the London Times, uh, obviously, um, that, uh, that, that, that started off like this. So the butcher's dog could do with a lie down. Boris's eyes were so baggy he'd have to pay a surcharge to take them on Ryanair. The Prime Minister was from BBC One's Andrew Marshall. From the look of those eyes, his night had been disturbed. Perhaps he had been reading all the stuff from his biographer Tom Barrow about his parents fighting when he was a child. The flesh under his left eye was ringed and swollen, almost a shiner. So Boris, I don't know, maybe a month ago or two months ago, after he recovered from COVID, uh, and he had a much worse uh, run of things than Trump did, um, but he, he said he was as fit as a butcher's dog. So it made me think, you know, a, a typical, atypical British phrase, and we and we like to dive into the to the uh, atypical um, uh, Britishisms that we uh, that we that I see and I use on a day to day basis uh, that probably confuse a lot of people are severe colloquialisms, but as fit as a butcher's dog. Where does it come from? What does the meaning of it? So the phrase "as fit as a butcher's dog" means a person who is extremely fit and healthy even in a challenging situation. In fact, the illusion shows that the butcher's dog is given meat and scraps after an animal was uh, sold. The dogs may even be overweight by eating all the scraps and not necessarily fit. The origin of fit as a butcher's dog, though, originated in the dictionary of modern slang, cant, and vulgar words, written by uh, Camden Hotton, published in 1859. Hotton states that it's a simile, is often applied to married men. 
In the past, however, it's meant that there's something very close to a person that no, there's no access to, exactly like a butcher's dog that cannot touch the beef, even though it can eat the scraps if allowed. So several items from the famed Waldorf Astoria Hotel uh, are coming up to auction at the moment, including uh, Wallace Simpson's reign um, at the Waldorf, uh, Waldorf uh, Hotel, uh, formerly uh, the Duchess of Windsor. A few years ago, or a few years after his abdication, the Duke of Windsor, Wallace Simpson, began spending the season. You don't get that anymore, the season. The social season, I guess, at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel in New York, where the armchairs are upholstered in the Duchess's favourite shade of blue and the cushions boasted needlepoint portraits of her pugs. If ever seemed like a fall from grace for a man who had been Edward VIII, you should see what happened to the furniture. The royal suite and its treasures had now been assembled in a disused shopping centre behind a motorway in Massachusetts. They are along, they're along display, they were auctioned off along with the pug pillows, a carpet from Winston Churchill's suite, and thousands of furnishings that made that once made Marilyn Monroe, Frank Sinatra and Cole Porter feel at home at New York's famous hotel. The Waldorf Astoria closed for a one billion renovation in 2017. Frank Kaminsky, chief executive of Kaminsky Auctions, was called in to conduct an appraisal on the furnishings that set a scene for uh, much of history. The Steinway Grand Piano of Cole Porter's suite, where he bashed out I've Got You Under My Skin, is judged to be worth $2 million. And, a, and, and it will stay with the hotel with around 15,000 other pieces of furniture that were eventually consigned to Kaminsky's auction house. There's some absolutely beautiful pieces. Um, they did try to create the second suite in the floor, which Wallace Simpson had to decorate in the colours. Uh, this was uh, this was actually reserved to her. Winston Churchill's old suite is a former branch department, uh, the store filings basement. I mean, I wonder what uh, wonder what the great British bulldog would think that his suite's now part of uh, a discount clothing line. You'd probably have to take a shot of scotch to cope with it. But anyway, some of the some of the most beautiful um, uh, jewellery I've ever seen is some of the auctions that came from the Duke and Duchess of Windsor. Some of the items that he gave to, and I highly recommend the first series of The Crown, by the way. Absolutely fascinating piece of history, the abdication. And then the Duke of Windsor being around and causing all sorts of consternation when he came to visit. But he gave some beautiful pieces. Some of the most loveliest are the, are the um, leopard brooches and cheetah brooches embossed with jewellery and rubies and, and diamonds and sapphires. Unbelievable stuff. Look it up online. It's some of the most beautiful jewellery you ever see. So how Britons have lost the touch with being tactile. Now, you know, when I was at boarding school, it was always a firm handshake and a pat on the back. Well done, old chap. Good lad. Good chap. Fight on, fight on to win, and all of that. Um, so I don't think there's any, anything particularly tactile about my upbringing, certainly at boarding school. Um, but in what may be one of the most ill-timed scientific sur surveys that have ever been carried out, research has shown that half of people believe that we do not touch each other enough. enough. That, that was before COVID. Positive attitudes towards touch are linked with greater well-being and lower levels of loneliness, according to the Global Survey from Radio 4's All in the Mind. It also found that people do not like touch were more likely to find it difficult to form trusting relationships. The bulk of the research for the touch test, based on responses of about 40,000 people, let's hope those 40,000 people um, weren't touching themselves during the pandemic, 
well, maybe they were touching themselves in a way, I suppose, but they had nothing else to do, uh, from 112 countries and were carried out before physical contact with people outside one's bubble became a thing of the past. It ran between the 21st of January and March the 30th. Maybe that pushed the COVID cases up. All this touching between January and March, 40,000 people touching. They were super spreaders, probably. Uh, nearly a quarter of people, 72%, reported a positive attitude to touch while 43% of adults felt that society does not enable us to touch each other enough. People who like to touch tended to score higher in the extroversion, openness to new experiences and agreeable. People who had been touched recently reported higher well-being and lower feelings of loneliness. However, touch did not have this positive effect on those who tend to not feel secure in their relationships or find it hard to form close relationships, researchers said. Consent was given on one of the main surveys that why we didn't touch each other enough. The survey based on a self-selecting group who chose to participate found that 79% of people uh, liked being touched by a friend and 63% disliked being touched by a stranger. Not everybody felt that touch was dying out. Nearly half the respondents answered no to the question. Do you think people touch less than previously in your lifetime? Britons are more tactile than Asians but less so than Southern Europeans. In the UK, 75% have positive attitude or experience of touch compared to 84% in Southern Europe. In Southeast Asia, the score is at 53%. The survey found that 88% of people like public displays of affection uh, with their partners, while 61% of people said a hug from a partner before sleep had a positive effect on sleep. The results will be revealed in the touch test. The um, visiting professor of the public understanding of psychology at the University of Sussex said the response to the survey shows what a critical topic um, touches in society today. And now with social distancing, touch has taken on a new resonance. Those results show that our likes and dislikes around touch and nuance from vary from person to person. This is the largest study of any kind and provides the most detailed source of insight that we have on contemporary attitudes and experience of touch. It indicates the importance of touch in our lives and shows the crucial role that individual differences play in this. I mean, I think it's a fascinating article, but very ill-timed. Um, I mean, I'm glad that it was said that it was, uh, it was uh, a survey during January to March, but, uh, but who knows? It's, uh, it's very interesting, but let's hope, as I said, that there weren't a bunch of super spreaders there between those uh, dates of January to March. So we have our enigmatic English eccentric Sir Benjamin Slade. Aristocrat seeks housemate, but no lefties are allowed. Wanted a rich tenant to take on a struggling stately home in Somerset. No lefties or Marxists need apply, says Sir Benjamin Slade, the cash-strapped aristocrat who hopes to find a tenant to help pay for the bills while his wedding venue business limps through the pandemic. They can also bring as much wine as they like, as long as it's of high quality, and I'm allowed to drink it. He put his mansual house in his 14th century manor house in North Newton, Bridgewater, Somerset, on the rental market, £20,000 a month. Government restrictions have killed off the estate's usual income at a wedding venue and holiday left Sir Benjamin is hoping that a permanent use of the whole house which uh, Geoffrey Chaucer is said to have written part of the Canterbury Tales, may appeal to the wealthy pandemic-weary city dwellers. Londoners are like a dreadful ghost town right now. All of this crowd are being not able to have more than six people in your garden. Well, my garden's 12 acres. I've got 98 acres of parkland, 42 bedrooms, and no problem with social distancing. It's the first time he's advertised for permanent residence. 
We, we, we need the punters. We, we want amusing ones. Good right-wing hunting shooting types. He added, uh, for reasons not entirely clear, we discriminate against anyone who went, who didn't, uh, who went to public school at Winchester or uh, Millfield. Um, Sir Benjamin Seven Baronet inherited his title from the, his father in 1962. The pandemic hit his business hard, claiming $5,000 in uh, pounds in lost earnings from wedding and hotel cancellations. He accepts that his country pile will be competing with much grander properties on the rental market. I don't have a swimming pool or tennis court, but there's about 3 million quids worth of antiques and the rest of it. We're going to have a gardener, husky butler, maintenance man, all of those people to drive them around. Uh, an advert for the property uh, highlights features such as the ballroom have been coveted in two beautifully decorated period drawing rooms together with large dining room, library, cloak rooms, grand panelled entrance and large kitchen. Mansour House is wonderfully welcomed in home, beautifully furnished with more than a touch of eccentricity. So Sir Benjamin made his fortune as a shipping magnate also made headlines in 2012 after police raided his home. He was charged with possessing a firearm without a certificate and breaching a shotgun certificate by leaving the weapon unsecured. And these are the requirements, sir. His list of requirements for the perfect breeder said, Should be taller than five foot six, preferably six foot one or six foot two, aged between 30 and 40, and possesses a gun license, and has to be castle trained and not left handed. All right, we're nearly at the end of the first of the two-part bumper bonanza edition. It's a, it's a, it's a double-breasted edition, you know, like a rather baggy uh, pair of pants here. You can fit two episodes into one here. Um, anyway, so we're going to finish this episode, as always, with a lovely little poem about October, Robert Frost. Oh, hushed October morning mild, they leaves have ripened to the fall. Tomorrow's wind, if it be wild, should waste them all. The crows above the forest call, tomorrow they may form and go. Oh, hushed October morning mild, begin the hours of this day slow. Make this day seem to us less brief, hearts not averse to be beguiled. Beguile us in the way you know, release one leaf at break of day, at noon release another leaf. From our trees one far away, retard the sun with gentle mist, enchant the, the land with amethyst, slow, slow. For the grape's sake, if they're all, those leaves already are burnt with frost, whose clustered fruit must be lost, for the grape's sake, along the wall. Thank you very much. Stay tuned. Click on the next episode and listen to that as well. Lovely to have you here. Episode 29, Keep Calm, Cauliflower Cheese. Au revoir from Chapter the Butler.